Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we're in Clifton to welcome the new RNLI lifeboat, and we hear from the Coast Guard Service on their safety campaigns, recruiting, and their response to recent claims at an Oireachtas committee hearing. Clifton's new all-weather Shannon-class lifeboat, the St Christopher, arrived into North Connemara last month to a very special welcome. The vessel has over 10,000 names on the hull as part of a launch and memory fundraising campaign. It's only the second time this particular model of fundraising has been used. The first was in Scotland. And the very first name on the Clifton Hall was that of the late Lee Early. He was Deputy Coxswain of the RNLI Aranmore lifeboat when he lost his life in an accident in 2019. Lorna Siggins attended the homecoming on Clifton Pier as she first spoke to Coxswain's John and James Mullen and the new head of the RNLI Ireland, Anna Classen. James Mullen, Coxon, so you came on the first leg of St Christopher over to um, Kinsale. That's right, yeah. So we, we, we departed Poole on Saturday morning and the first stop was into Plymouth. And we had a great welcome when we got into Plymouth. Uh, we stayed the night in Plymouth, that was about 100 nautical miles. Then we left Plymouth on the Sunday and we went up to Penlee, where again we, we did uh, a fantastic welcome in Penlee. And while we stayed the night in Penlee, we went to actually see the Remembrance Garden from back in 1981 when, when the, the Penlee disaster took place. They went out to a coaster of the Union Star and the boat never came back. And the boathouse itself was just left as if it was 1981. So walking into it was very eerie. You could hear the, feel the hair stand on the back of your neck and all the equipment and everything was left uh, as it was on that, that fateful night. Um, so that for us was, was extremely special, you know, and, and to meet the lads and, and to meet some of the families from, from that, you know. Was that your first time in Penley then? That was our first time in Penley, yeah. And actually, when we were when we were on the way to Penley, we got tasked by Falmouth Coast Guard for uh, a vessel that was, was getting into difficulty just off Gwyneth Head, um, which isn't far off, basically, Wolf Rock, where, where the, the Union Star got into difficulty that night. And we escorted that vessel into Penley Harbour, which again was very moving for us, do you know what I mean? Because the whole, we've only ever read up about Penley and, and spoken to the guys, but uh, to actually be there and see it all was, was fantastic. So that was your first shout then to bring in that? Yeah, I mean, the boat it wasn't officially on service, but obviously because we were on passage, um, we were known as, as Lifeboat 1343 because that's our side number. So we do radio comms with them while we're en route and they just, just called us up and said, look, there's a vessel a couple of miles west. Of you. Is there any chance you could assist? So, of course, absolutely, that's what we're here for. So the, dirt, the weather was pretty bumpy then? It was. We, we had a nice, a fairly nice trip to Plymouth and not so bad up, up to uh, Penley. But when we left Penley, we were southwesterly 40 knots to Ballycotton. And coming in, I'd say the last 20 miles of Ballycotton was probably 50, 55 uh, kilometres an hour uh, wind with, with a nice 3, 4 metre swell. So the boat got well tested as we did coming back. I know Anne-Marie, one of our, uh, the head of the fundraiser here, we brought some of the mugs back from Poole and unfortunately one or two of them got cracked in the bow. But I haven't seen her yet to get the slap on the wrist over that, but... Again, as I said, the boat, fabulous boat, does exactly what it says in the tin. And uh, we're here safely. We left her in Kinsale and the lads then took over and brought her the rest of the journey home. Anna Classen, congratulations. You're head of the RNLI in Ireland. So what does this day mean to you? It means a huge amount and it's wonderful listening to James talking about the boat. For me, it's all about the community and the people. So the RNLI is a very simple model. Um, there's risk, but it's communities like Clifton 
that mitigate that risk. So it's, it's James, it's crew, Anne-Marie Bennett, who's doing the fundraising. Previous to that, great heroes in Clifton. Jackie O'Grady, uh, who's dead now a few years, great inspirational people who created and worked with others to create a lifeboat community in Clifton. So there's no point in a beautiful boat like the St. Christopher unless you have the people to fundraise for it, unless you have the people to man this crew and go out to sea and take those risks and take people home safely. So for me today it was watching this lifeboat, the St. Christopher, coming with its crew on the front. So proud, so proud of this vessel and so proud of their community that are all here today to celebrate it. Because the RNLI can provide the training and the tools. Our lifeboat communities provide the people. Really very exciting day. And of course a big vote of confidence in the RNLI is the fact that 10,000 families have their names on the hull of this boat. Yeah, the, the, the fundraising uh, launch a memory started a few years ago and it is a joy we have all of the names behind us on a big poster and people can see use their phones and so there's 10,000 names part of my own family part of everybody's family here there's one family that have come from the United Kingdom five of them in a car with their dog have come here today because their grandparents names are on that wall so John Mullen, your coxswain here. So you're just showing me around the new Shannon class yes. boat now. I'll show you the Shannon class boat. The back seat here on the right, this is the uh, navigator seat. Right. Primary navigation seat. Okay. So we'll have the camera on now, but you have all your charts. Right. All that. This is the SIM system. And the idea of the SIMs, you can control from, from most positions, you can bring up any screen. Okay. This is the coxswain seat. All so right. as you can see there, he has a chart. But you can bring any any of the screens up. Coxon um, can bring up any screen. Helm, VHF, radar, charts, DF. And when you started, John, did you have those sort of systems? Oh, no. None right. of these systems that we have now. Yeah. No. Oh, no electronics like we have now. This right. is the mechanic seat. Right. Okay. Main seat, yeah. Okay. Up here, then we have the helm seat where they drive the boat. Okay. So we have revs and our buckets because this is run with the water jets. It's two 650 horsepower engines running on Hamilton water jets. And at one and a half tons of water goes through the jets a second. And then this is the second navigator seat, which uh, primarily controls radar. And then we have this fiber space. All right, so we're going down below now. Yeah. So you put anybody you've rescued, you put down six here. Six survivors, yeah. yeah. The only thing about down here, though, in rough seas, it can be. All right, and they all, they're all strapped in, obviously. They're all strapped in, yeah. Yeah. That's where the mechanic goes in down in here, or right. electronic engineering should be called. Okay. All the engines and jets and everything are there, and then this is just more space here. You can okay. see all the guys are keeping their equipment. Highly so manoeuvrable boat because of the jets, you don't have propellers. But then and it's self-writing as well. Self-writing as well, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And do you have to do those sort of tests in your training? Do you have to do the sort of self-writing? They've changed things a little bit now. We used to go over and you'd be in the boat when the boat would go over, the inshore boats, but now they don't. They put the boat over and then you go in and you go under the boat to see what it's like. Because on our other inshore boat, that one, uh, you have to manually pull a lever, inflates a gas bottle, or inflates a bag, and the boat will uh, self-right again. But this one is automatic. Once the doors are closed, if it goes over, it'll come back up again. Right. And how long were you with um, Clifton now, John? Uh, next year it'll be 30 years. Okay. 2020 years, I'll have 30 years done on the crew, yeah. Uh, started in 1993, but straight onto the boat. We had a C-class then. 
and then a D-class, then an Atlantic 21, Atlantic 75, Atlantic 85, and then we became an all-weather boat station. And that C-class is here now today? Yes, that's the one that James's uh, kids bought, and we've done it up, and yeah, yeah. one of our actual uh, ex-helms on the C-class was uh, driving it in there today in front of all the other boats. Great to see it again back, Charlie 522, yeah. Thanks a million. Okay, no problem at all. Yeah. RNLI volunteers from Clifton were on hand on the pier and on the beach the next day to help people who had contributed to the cost of the lifeboat find those names they had submitted for the Launch a Memory campaign. I was looking too. My late sister Jane Siggins and my son's best friend from school, Tiernan Zephaniah Archer, whose family come from Furbo and Notnacara, were among them. I'm John Britton, Clifton Lifeboat Operations Manager. This is a great day. Marvellous day, very exciting for us. And the weather is beautiful, which makes it all the better. There are stories, obviously, behind all the 10,000 names. You might have met some of the people who put names on the boat. I have indeed. There are people coming from all across the British Isles, as far as I can see, to see the boat and to see the name of their loved one, or loved ones. Quite a lot of people have multiple names on them. And the stories behind them are fantastic and quite emotional. I got a letter from a a man that lives in Dublin and he couldn't be here but he put the name of his grandfather on the boat and his grandfather had served in the Royal Navy and loved the sea and he'd been in the Navy during the war but he'd had to lie about his age because he was too young to sign up. That man's name is on the boat and it's an honour to have it there. Miriam Harris is my name. And Miriam, you're with Clifton Lifeboat? Yes, Lorna, I am the Community Safety Advisor with Clifton Lifeboat. Um, my role, I suppose, is on land. I don't go to sea at all. Basically, my role is giving the key safety messages that the Ornel I have there. It's, first of all, tell somebody where you're going, what time you might be back at. Um, always have wear a life jacket appropriate to your, your activity. Check the tides and the weather and always have a mobile phone or a VHF radio with you. So point of contact that you can ring somebody if you're in trouble. And you have a name on yes. this lifeboat. I actually, Lorna, have two na- three names. I have my mum, who is called Queenie, and my dad, John, and my brother, Adrian, who was down as Ado, who was always known as Ado. He was two years older than me. And I suppose the reason, apart from a family reason for it, uh, my father, in his infinite wisdom, taught us how to swim, taught us how to respect the water, taught us what to look out for when you go to sea, all the things that we would teach people about water safety. Uh, my brother at the other end uh, was killed, unfortunately, very sadly. Um, he was just as mad as I was in the water. And in between, you'd have my mum, Queenie, going, oh, don't let them go too far, enough. Yeah, it's, I thought it was very poignant, the fact that we love the water. We grew up beside the sea, and we were taught to have a healthy respect for it. So very sadly, as I say, my brother was killed. He uh, was 17, crazy rugby player, um, fell off a friend's motorbike and got what they call a delayed head injury, and he died a few hours later. So I'm delighted that his memory is here, his name is here. It always makes him very real when you mention his name. Like he, he was always in our hearts, he will always be forever. And it's a long time ago, it's well over 40 years this happened. But I can still remember the day, I can still remember his funeral service, I can still remember all the love that he brought and fun he brought to the family. He wanted to be an orthopaedic surgeon, nothing else. And unfortunately he was cut, his life was cut short and his leaving start here. So he's there and he will go on the St. Christopher with the boys and the lads and the ladies on the crew all the time and I just think it's a beautiful tribute to him and my family and to my mum and dad as well. Alison Keneally. And John Keneally. And Alison and John, you have a name on the pulse? We have several family names, yes. I have my niece, I have my nephew, I have my mum and my dad. Just over two years ago, um, it was initially, it was when my, my brother died, Bernard Keneally died, 
and Alison noticed on the social media that, that there was a, an RNLI fundraising. We looked into it and they were building a boat to co- that's going to be launched in Invergordon. And it's actually has been launched now. And my brother's name is on that. And then sometime after that, a niece of ours, Sarah Wilkins, unfortunately passed away. Uh, and um, her name was also placed on that. And then Alison's mother, Elsie. Elsie passed away. And th- those three names are on the boat in Invergordon. And I was actually speaking to someone in the town there about an hour ago. And, uh, and they just come from Invergordon. And, and it's mixed emotions. When to see to see the boat and to see the, the names physically, it's okay when you're doing it on the internet and everything else. It's also excellent because Alison just heard that a quarter of the, 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 the cost of the boat has been raised by people who have put loved ones' names on the actual boat itself. And that is absolutely fantastic. It's fantastic. It's sad, and it, but it's also so positive because they're part of something now that saves lives. And isn't that, what, what more can we say? Isn't that a wonderful thing? And that was Alison and John Keneally from Dublin, among the many launch and memory campaign contributors who travelled west to Clifton for the arrival of the new lifeboat, speaking to Lorna Siggins. In recent weeks, we've heard on the programme from the Oireachtas Transport Committee hearings, where it was claimed that the Irish Coast Guard Service was in a crisis situation, mainly because of personnel issues at several stations. I visited the Coast Guard Centre in Dublin this week and met the acting deputy head of the Coast Guard, Gerard O'Flynn. I spoke to him about their safety campaigns and recruitment, but first I asked him of his response to those claims made at the Transport Committee. Well, obviously, anything I say is very much predicated on that I can't comment on the, on the workings of any, of any Dáil Committee, so uh, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to comment uh, good, bad or indifferent on it, but obviously I'm aware of uh, what was discussed. Uh, one of the groups that appeared in front of the committee is the Coast Guard Unit Advisory Group called CUIG. And that organisation probably has, be, has been in existence now for many years under different guises. And over time, its terms of references have, have been modified and upgraded to meet requirements. So that, that is a very important consultative group. And it has uh, been... Um, I suppose, a catalyst for change in the Coast Guard over you know, many different times. In terms of the volunteer sector, we have over 900 people, uh, volunteers, give or take. You know, numbers change, obviously, but that's a very strong number, representing four, uh, 44 different Coast Guard units. And they use themselves, probably not known to everybody, provide a range of services. Some units are uh, cliff units, cliff rescue units. Some are boat rescue units. All of the units are categorised as uh, shoreline search units. And now an increasing number of units um, are, um, have drone capability. So the capabilities of the units are quite extensive, and some of the units provide all four of those. In addition, they're available to support our communities as part of community resilience. And it's also important to remember that Coast Guard units, the, the groups, they're recruited locally. They're not recruited centrally, you know, if I think of something to say. Think of Garda Shikana. Everybody doesn't go to Templemore 
and, and train as a guard. These people are, are trained locally, and people essentially join the Coast Guard to serve their local communities, even though they carry and they're very much part of a national organization and resource centrally. But it's important to my, uh, for me, uh, it's, the, it's the sense of being part of the local community is the great strength of it. And I think the, the, the service that these people give is incredible. I think anybody who's prepared to carry a pager on them 24 hours a day and, av and available to respond, that's an incredible service. And they're very proud of the fact that they serve their communities. But equally, they, you know, when they're on duty, they're wearing a, a state uniform. A controversy that has been Coast Guard has had in recent times has been with the Doolan station. What's happening there? Well, Doolan's very unfortunate because Doolan is, you know, is a very high-profile unit and down through the years has, has been a very successful unit. Um, some years back, a very fine station was, 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 was built uh, in Doolan, and that's indicative of its standing both locally and nationally. Unfortunately, there have been... I suppose personality clashes within the unit. Uh, they go back some time. It came to it came to a head. There was uh, a lot of effort put in to try and resolve it, to the extent that even Mr. Kieran Mulvey went down uh, as a mediator. Uh, on foot of all that, um, a series of recommendations have been made, and every effort is being made to reconstitute the unit because Doolan is an important unit. It's you know it's well resourced. Historically, very fine people have served in the unit. Ultimately, it was personality clashes, and these, these personality clashes uh, weren't a satisfactory result. But hopefully, uh, we will see a Doolin unit with the strength and capabilities that the people of West Clare, and perhaps the country to a greater extent, recognises because there, there are very talented people down there, people in the unit, and historically, people who serve their community with great pride. Over the last year or two, we've had a couple of people contacting us on Seascapes from the Coast Guard complaining about the facilities in which they meet. Some of the need upgrading. Without question. But equally, uh, if I think, uh, say in my own time, the Coast Guard, some very fine facilities have been opened. Killy Beggs has a relatively new station. Doolan, as I mentioned already, has a new station. Crosshaven has a new station. Uh, and a number of other facilities have been upgraded around the country. Uh, there is a very extensive plan in place to develop facilities. But I, without question, there are some units there that facilities are substandard. But equally, the people who serve in the, those units are very keen to serve their local communities, and some take longer than others to develop. It's not always easy to get a suitable site, uh, some, you know, to get a suitable location. I think, uh, for example, down in Waterville, we were able to get uh, a disused uh, OPW building. It was a former guard station that was renovated. So we're constantly on the lookout for opportunities to develop new facilities. I would hope that in the short term we will see a new station in Greystones. That has been in the pipeline for a long time. Equally, there's a plan to develop in Westport. But every area takes on its own challenges. Sites are not always readily available. But uh, certainly I, I am aware that from a Department of Transport perspective and the Coast Guard itself, there is a, a, a very strong ambition to, to have the best facilities available to people who, who give this kind of service to their communities. Just moving on from that, you've had a very busy weekend, the holiday weekend, as regards water safety. If, if we just looking at the numbers alone, one of the, I suppose, the key metrics for us is just to count the number of incidents that we're involved in. So if we look at the numbers right now, um, to date, we have coordinated uh, a total of 990 incidents. 
Now, it's the relativity, obviously. It's lesser than last year. Last year was a very busy year, but over the last five or six years, 990 is, is as high as it has been. Other than, as I say, last year, both our uh, RNLI, Water Safety Ireland and COSAR come together and try and get a safety message out there. And we try and identify what we regard as key risks. This weekend, on the June weekend, we focused on uh, the, the risk associated with inflatable toys, which we would urge people never, ever take them anywhere beyond your back garden. They have no place in any open waterway, not, not just beaches, lakes, inland rivers, etc. Equally, kayakers is an area we focused on because uh, some people maybe take ex excessive risks. And a, a theme we often punch out is um, stay in contact, stay afloat. Before you go to sea, make sure you have a means of staying afloat if you get into difficulty. In other words, have a proper life jacket, have a proper PFT, and a mean, means of communication. And don't rely on a mobile phone and so on. A mobile phone may work, but preferably have a VHF radio. And if you are in difficulty, uh, a personal locator beacon is another means. But stay afloat, stay in contact. And if there's a message on, for the June as we move into the summer, please do not take inflatable toys onto open waterways, lakes, rivers, on the sea, because it can get blown out into, onto the water, turn over, and they're one of those risk areas that we like to draw people's attention to. There's one particular group you're going to be focusing on over the summer, that is people who have arrived here from Ukraine because they may have no knowledge of the sea. Yes, uh, uh, early this year we, 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 we identified that those people wouldn't have the sort of Atlantic experience that uh, the, uh, the, hopefully the average Irish person has, and we know that our colleagues, particularly in Water Safety Ireland, have gone to great efforts to uh, publish uh, their information in both Russian and Ukrainian because uh, that's the language that's understood. But there is there is a risk that uh, these people will go to the seaside and won't understand things like tides that they see in an open beach. And uh, it may not be aware to them for the first time that that tide is going to come in twice a day. And, uh, you know, people can get quickly isolated. But we would urge people to be aware of these people, be in the community, and if you are engaging with them, maybe to strike up a conversation and say, what are the local risks, what are the challenges around here? You also have then uh, a search and rescue tender out at the moment. Are you replacing the helicopters? Are they going to be updated? What's happening? So currently uh, we have a, a contract with a company, CHC Ireland. That contract has been in place since 2012 and that contract will currently run for 14 years. So that contract is due to expire in 2024. We've already issued uh, an engagement with the market uh, called a PQQ, a pre-qualifying questionnaire, and on foot of that, a number of uh, companies have been shortlisted, and that will now go forward to a process called an RFT. Government has already decided that the next helicopter contract will operate over the four existing bases at Sligo, Waterford, Shannon, and Dublin. And also, as is published in the PQQ, there will be the addition of a fixed-wing aircraft to support search and rescue and to support uh, 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 pollution inspection and that type of thing. But we would see a fixed-wing aircraft as being a very useful resource in terms of a quick response to uh, a missing person situation, a person in the water, and hopefully and assisting in coordinating other resources onto an incident, be it a helicopter or an ally, our community inshore rescue boats are just vessels of opportunity. But obviously the procurement is now at a, at, at a, pretty, at a particularly sensitive stage, but that is the current position. Jared, are you taking volunteers at the moment? If I want to join the Coast Guard, what do I do and what would be expected of me? 
Well, there are a number of areas that join the Coast Guard. Uh, volunteers recruit locally. So if, you want, if you're interested in becoming a Coast Guard volunteer, get in contact with your local unit and, and you'll get all the details. We have 44 different units around the country, so uh, we have a pretty good geographical distribution. So, yes, we're recruiting. Equally, later in the year, we would be recruiting watch officers for our rescue coordination centres. These are people who've, who've had some seagoing experience, uh, well, quite a lot of seagoing experience, I should say, and have a maritime qualification. So they're the two areas of joining the Coast Guard. So there are vacancies currently in our three rescue coordination centres, Malin, Valencia and Dublin, and we hope to launch another competition towards the end of the year. But more importantly, all volunteer units uh, uh, in the are continually recruiting, and if they don't have vacancies in the short term, they certainly will put you on a standby list, and they will show you, maybe give people locally an awareness of how you can serve your community. Being an integral part of um, of supporting the local community in collaboration with the uh, principal of Garda Shikana and the HSE. And that was Gerard O'Flynn, acting deputy head of the Irish Coast Guard Service. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday when we'll have a special programme. I'll be in Wicklow with the competitors about to take off on the Round Ireland sailing race. Everything on the programme's podcast, it's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. And if you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane. 